Hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My guest today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thanks for having me. Today's topic, X-Men The Last Stand. It is the sequel to X-Men 2, as well as the third installment in the X-Men film series. It features an ensemble cast, including Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, Ian McKellen, Famke Janssen, Anna Paquin, Kelsey Grammer, James Marsden, Rebecca Romain, Sean Ashmore, Aaron Stanford, Vinnie Jones, and Patrick Stewart. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. This one has been a long time coming. Years ago, the guys at Rewind and Review, they covered the first X-Men movie from 2000, and we reviewed X-Men 2. I'm going to say last year. I think that's when we covered it, and we always intended on doing this movie. It's weird that it's taken us this long. I I swear we, we, we already covered it, but we must not have. Oh, we absolutely have not. And the reason why it popped into my head, this is kind of a spoiler for the Marvels, but I think if people wanted to watch it, they've watched it by now. Opening yeah. weekend, it got spoiled that a certain mm. member of this cast were reprising their role in a mid credit scene. Mm-hmm. So it is out there already. So hopefully you're not going to get annoyed with me when I say this. Kelsey Grammer reprises his role as Hank McCoy, Beast. And he was seeing that on the big screen. That made me think, we need to do it. This is the year to do it. Review X-Men, The Last Stand. Good to see Beast get his due. I mean, I I actually had that spoiled for me, you know, like, um i had thanks like thanks a lot internet but um you know i was gonna go see the marvels i still will get may or i might just might just wait for it to hit streaming but um yeah when when that got spoiled for me i was like well you know thanks because that would have been really cool to find out in the cinemas but to have that spoiled for me it kind of does deflate my enthusiasm for the movie a smidge at the same time though did you think that Beast was going to appear? I didn't think no. at all. Nothing would Not have made all. me think that. So <laughs> it wouldn't have stopped me from watching it, finding out that it was in it. But at the same time, I watched opening weekend. And it was that afternoon that I came across information online about it. So I would have been the mm. nerd like you are. But honestly, what a moment. And you hear him before you see him. Kelsey yeah, Grammer once know. again is based because we're going to get into it off the bat. I will say this, this movie is an absolute mess, but one of the things that they really got right was the casting of Kelsey Grammer oh, as beast. You took the words right out of my mouth. I couldn't agree more. He is beast. You listen to him and even in the comics. And um, I mean, the cartoon, it was another voice, another voice actor doing him, but um for you know for the comics and everything else like you just like you just picture kelsey grammar and like the, the the tenor of his voice the timber of it his cadences his uh you know he's just everything about kelsey grammar 
you just go, he is Hank McCoy, and they nailed it. In the Marvels, he is completely CG. Not like he is here. For me, oh, sir. He's not this made up. is the way to go. Like yeah. in, in this movie, his makeup took three hours to apply. It involved applying latex prosthetics before painting his eye area and lips blue, applying various hair pieces and wigs and a muscle suit covered with a hand-punched fursuit. I get it. For mm. a mid credit scene, somebody else's movie. You're not going to go that effort. I appreciate yeah. that, but I'm hoping when he plays the part again, because come on, it's, it's going to happen. We've got Xavier in Doctor Strange. Yeah. They brought yeah. Patrick Stewart back for that. Well, he's just we'll come out now recently and said, he's just come out now recently and said he thinks we stand a very good chance of seeing Beast in the MCU. Um, he's saying, you know, he's it's absolutely plausible that that will happen. So I think he's hinting and wink, winking and hinting bedtime that he will reprise the role again. It's a good and bad thing what they're doing because they kind of, they should just let go, but they can't because Hugh Jackman's coming back one more time for Deadpool 3. And Deadpool yeah. is that bridge between the Fox films and the Marvel Studios films. Yeah. I really do think, if not for Hugh Jackman's involvement, we're not getting Kelsey Grammer back as Beast in this scene in the Marvels. And I don't yeah. want to spoil the movie more for you, but this, is, this Beast, I'd be very surprised if he's good with the Beast in the Marvel Studios films. We're still going to get these characters recast but for the time being whether it's deadpool or plot points from the marvels there's reasons why these fox characters can still appear but i think they will for a very limited time and then mm. as soon as kevin feige is ready to launch his own x-men it will be a whole new cast playing the character allegedly they allegedly they exist in a separate reality that's that just side by side or alongside exactly. with the Fox yeah. reality. So that's, um, that's yeah. going on, but that could all come to an end with whatever happens mm. in Deadpool three. Anyway, let's yeah. cast, let's cast our minds back. Like we, we talked about the Marvels. What happens with Kelsey grammar there? This is 2006. Go so let's, let's go, let's go back in time. Oh, man. Honestly, when these X-Men films first came out, the first one, 2000, and then we got X-Men 2, which that's what it was called for me. In the US, mm. I know it was called X2 that's or yeah. X-Men 2 United, it's, but it's mm. simply X-Men 2 for me. Was that what it was in Australia? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was either X X-Men 2 or X2. X Men United, something along those lines, I think, or all of the above. I just called it X Men Two. It was only X Men Two for me. I yeah, didn't even know for the longest that. time that it was referred to as anything else, but it was just X Men Two in England. Uh, you know what Americans are like with their tendency to always call things differently. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds cool, X Two, but then X2, they didn't go man. with they didn't go with X Men Three for this one. It's the last stand. Last but then well, it wasn't. The last time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I still call it X Men Three. I don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's what it is. It's the third in the in the franchise. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. 
Written by Simon Kinberg and Zach Penn, the film is loosely based on two X-Men comic book story arcs, Gifted and the Dark Phoenix Saga, with mm. a plot that revolves around a mutant cure that causes serious repercussions among mutants and humans, and on the resurrection of Jean Grey, who unleashes a dark force. We talked about it when we reviewed X-Men 2. Mm. Bad ending, pitch perfect. Mm. Jean Grey seemingly died saving the rest of the team but then you got the reflection of the phoenix in the water setting, and it's like that's setting up the dark perfect side. and it's like mm. that first movie was so good the second film was even better the third yep. movie is going to be epic and then we got this film so and it, wasn't, it looks yeah. like it was going to be the best <laughs> yeah and, and and it really wasn't i think i credit that solely to and i'm not saying it's his fault but I think it's something to do with his involvement. I think it's because you had a change in director and you had Brett Ratner coming in and taking on what Brian Singer left, you know, left off with. I mean, let's um let's talk it's about disjoint. it because yeah. you're right. Like you're right. You're right. Changing mm. of the guard. Brian yep. Singer, who had directed the first two previous films, X-Men and X-Men 2, decided to leave the sequel to work on Superman Returns in 2006. I've got mm -hmm. to be honest, at the time, I was ecstatic. I was so excited for Superman Returns. And although far from being a perfect movie, I love that movie, the casting of Brandon Routh. There's so many things I like about it, but it, it ended up being a case of not just Brian Singer jumping ship for Superman mm -hmm. Returns. He took... He's X-Men 2 composer and editor John Ottman. He took his X-Men 2 writers, Dan Harris and Michael Doherty. So they also I left to work for... They went to work on Superman Returns, as did James Marsden, who had a very limited screen time in The Last Stand before his character was killed off due to his departure yeah. from the film. Oh, my God. Honestly, comics, cartoons... Terrible. Cyclops was one of my favorite characters, and I'll never forgive this movie. I mean, later oh, films, Days of Future Past, they they fixed this film because characters that died yeah. were no longer dead. Yeah. Oh, it was Honestly, shocking. Yeah. Even this recent yeah. rewatch, the scene with Cyclops at the lake, mm. hate it. Absolutely yeah, hate I it. I mean, I get it. He was in a dark place and couldn't get over the loss of the love of his life. I mean, I, I get it. Mm. I get why he's feeling the way that he's feeling, but the way that this movie just killed him off. And we knew yeah. behind the scenes it's because he'd signed on to another film. Awful. Yeah. And that's that's such a lame kind of reason to kill up a character, isn't it? You get the feeling that they should have just waited. They should have just done X3 have, you know, finished their obligations to that and then gone on and done Superman, but not. Logistically, impossible, because they were both happening at the same time. So it's either yeah. you need to pick this one or that one. I think already it was apparent to James Marsden, his character, compared to Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, was going to be having even less screen time than what he'd had in the first two movies. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm. he was getting to play this new character, uh, Perry White's son, Richard White, in Superman Returns. He had a relationship with Lois, and he had more to do in Superman Returns. So I, I get why he left. Well, he got more screen time. I guess you can't blame him for defecting and jumping ship. 
And he got fixed in a later film, Days of Future Past, end of that movie. Everything's fixed. We're happy. Cyclops is alive. He's just there. And well, it's interesting. And they, they retconned it yet again. Oh, oh mate. The, the endless retcons. The, 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 the Fox X-Men films are a bloody mess. They they mm. really, really are. They even, are. Even right, when you got First Class, and if you're looking at those movies, First Class, Days of Future that Past, and then Apocalypse. Oh, Days of Future Past and First Class are incredible. Yeah, Love those films. Movies. Well, yeah, what agree. happened with the first X-Men movie, the opening, it says, in the not-too-distant future. They're yeah. not specific. They don't tell you exactly no. when it takes place. But I because, thought they were referencing Days of Past. But, no, it's just not in, they're just not specifying. They're saying this is in your future, but not too far in the future. And then yeah. the movie just starts. That's where it, that's where it happens. Then mm. when they did First Class, because with the missile crisis, it they just put a date on it. They put a year on it. So it was, we knew when it took place. So then we went from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s. So I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but across those three films, in between films, the characters supposedly aged 10 years. Yet for the actors, it looks like they've aged a couple of years. It's mm. just crazy, man. So, yeah. <laughs> so just it's, you... it's, it's, it's a spaghetti ball. That's what it is. It really yeah, is. Franchise is a spaghetti ball. Deadpool is going to fix it for them. So we've got yes. Deadpool 3 to look forward to. Apparently, Brian Singer's plans for this movie before of his departure was to feature the Jean Grey resurrection plotline and to introduce the characters of Emma Frost and Gambit. Singer wanted Sigourney Weaver to play Frost and Keanu Reeves to play Gambit. Wow, okay. All right. That could have been interesting. I mean, it's very different to what they ended up doing. I mean, we got mm. Gambit in X-Men Origins, and we got two versions of Emma Frost. Emma Frost. Like We got her in X-Men Origins, and then they just ignored that and introduced her again in first class. Again, the timeline, the continuity of the casting does, does not make sense. Mm, it seems so contradictory, doesn't it? Like They're just undermining what's come before. I'm like, oh, we're just going to retcon it. doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm. But for the most part, the X-Men movies are fun. It's still sad to think yeah. that... Or in fact, no, they're not ending on... I was going to say it's sad to think that they ended on New Mutants as being the last Fox Mutants movie, mm. which is not good at all. At first, I thought that sounded good. A haunted asylum movie with mutants, and it's the characters from New Mutants. But that movie... It's very, very disappointing. I mean, but the last but, Fox movie will be Deadpool 3. Yeah. But I mean, as much maligned as this film is that we're reviewing, um, it gave us a few good things. The aforementioned Kelsey Grammer as Beast, which was clearly the one good thing it really gifted us. But it also gave us uh, Ben Foster as Warren Warrington, the three, the third Archangel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't, but that's the thing as well. We don't see a lot of we, him, though. We get Angel in the Apocalypse movie, and it's not the Ben Foster version, and he does become no. Archangel in that movie. So, again, nothing makes sense, but it's yeah. fine, I guess. But it gave us some new characters in, in and the, the well-established in X-Men canon. So I know, but it was kind of cool. 
Yeah, but it's Warren Worthington twice with two different actors in two different time periods. The the opening of the movie is really impactful where he's trying to hide from his dad that is a mutant. Yeah. And, you know, there's like... Cuts off his wings. Yeah. Mutants. I mean, yes, it is about mutants, but really it's about race, discrimination, homosexuality. So all these things are really... Really you can see the on. allegory. You can really see Absolutely. that allegory in this movie. So when it's he's trying apparent. to hide from his dad, and it was a good way of bringing the plot together, like the opening of the movie and the cure, mm-hmm. and the using a mutant for the cure, yeah. the character Leech, who can take away people's abilities. Although in the comics, he was green. He's, he just looks human, but he can That's take right. powers yeah. away in this movie. But you're yeah. right, you know, there is things that this movie does does right, like it really does. Mm. You mentioning, you know, we said a couple of times now the casting of Kelsey Grammer as Ben was sublime. But originally, somebody mm. else were considered for the role, and it was Jason Fleming, who would later go on to play Asriel in X Men First Class. Yeah. But this he is where it's confusing fit, as well because in the comics, Asriel is Nightcrawler's dad. Mistake. Is Nightcrawler's mum. So them two get together, and that's how we end up with Nightcrawler. None of that happens ah. here, although Asriel looks like a red Nightcrawler. But Jason Fleming, obviously, he didn't get the part, but the Matthew Vaughan connection is interesting because at one time he was brought on to replace Brian Singer as the director. And Have one you... of the contributions he made was the opening scene with young Warren cutting off his wings in the bathroom. That was Absolutely. Matthew Bourne. There's actually been a development with the the whole Mystique debacle uh, the, about the origins of Nightcrawler and how he came to be and everything. Marvel have just come out very recently within the last day or two and definitively now they've changed it. They've retconned, they've retconned it again and they've said, oh, well, turns out that Nightcrawler is a product of Mystique because she can shapeshift. She turned into Azrael. And so she is, she is actually... Nightcrawler's father. Oh, what? I know. I know. So who's and the I mother? That's oh, it. right. That's what, that's what, so that's what Mystique everyone... transformed into Asriel. Yeah. Asriel yeah. impregnated a woman who gave yeah. birth to. Oh, okay. I know. It's 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 getting really weird, and and people were just going, "What the hell?" But then apparently, get this, that is not new because apparently it was something that Chris Clement wanted to do back in the day but he wasn't allowed to or they, or they didn't let him. And now they've, they've changed their mind and reversed it and said, yep, yep, this is the definitive explanation. So Clement's wow. original idea is now seeing the light of day, you know, years and years and years after the fact. It seems it's unnecessary, really but okay. I know, so just that's... like the premise of this movie. But in this movie, though, that or in these movies, Nightcrawler mm. has no relation to Asriel or mm. Mystique. Anyway, no. well, let's go back to Matthew Vaughan, who co-wrote the script, although it was uncredited, and he was initially hired as the new director, but he left due to personal and professional issues and was replaced by Brett Ratner. It yep. came out earlier in the year. One of the things that he really disliked is that the studio tried to trick Halle Berry into signing on to this film because the cast signed on for two films. So there were new negotiations for this movie. And what they did, they gave her 
apparently they gave her a fake script which showed Storm's role to be a lot more prominent because she didn't like the lack of character development or screen time oh, in those wow, first two movies. Horrible. And that he didn't the... like the way they were trying to manipulate her, so he left. To come back. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. That sucks. But he didn't take everything with him. And I've got to be honest, there's an actor in this film who is here purely because he was brought on when Matthew Vaughan was going to direct. Mm. I'm talking about Vinnie Jones. Yes. If there is any actor who doesn't belong in this movie, it is him. But without knowing the Matthew Vaughan connection, it would be confusing why he's here in the first place. Back can when we have the line, can we have oh, the line? Are you going to yeah. save a line? No, you can do it. I'm the juggernaut, bitch. That's, <sighs> that's forever, that will forever be. Yeah, I know you just said it. That sigh right there of like that cringy sigh you just did is the collective sigh of of, of X Men fandom. Right it's there. awful. I mean, to give it its yeah. full line, don't you know who I am? I'm the juggernaut, bitch. And then, but before it's that, it's like, I need to pee. Like, let me down. Everything about it is awful. It's, and it's, it's not just the casting. Now, the reason why he's cast is because Matthew Vaughan produced Guy Ritchie's early gangster flicks. Yeah. The first movie that Vinnie Jones appeared in was Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. So that right. is where... He met Matthew Vaughan, and he got brought on for this. But it is shocking. But it's not all. Oh man! I'm going to say it's not all Vinnie Jones's fault. I don't think any of it is really. He's saying the lines that he's been given, but it just it doesn't work. So the character we get in this movie, he is a mutant criminal recruited by the Brotherhood in a prison truck. Juggernaut is incredibly strong, fast, and once he gains momentum, he is nearly unstoppable. But the film's version is depicted as a mutant and his relation to Charles Xavier was never mentioned. But what's mm. worth noting, though, is this juggernaut is based on his appearance in the Ultimate X-Men comics. In that series, uh. he is a natural mutant, while in the original Marvel uh, comics, okay. he got his ability from a mystical that would explain, jewel. That would explain why Leech was able to affect his abilities Whereas uh, in the in the comics, like you say, he's got the crimson bands of Sidorak, so that's nothing to do with mutancy. Yeah, and no relation to yeah. Xavier in the movie. So at first it sounds like, oh, they're going off script, way off script. Now they're just looking at Ultimate Comics. And Ultimate Comics was the basis for Avengers, Kevin Feige's Avengers. It was the Ultimates, because they were going for a more yeah. modern retelling of, of their I origin. Would say, I I will say I really loved the Ultimate Comics X-Men. I thought that was brilliantly done. Um, that was a really interesting and refreshing retelling of the X-Men. Absolutely. So at the time. I can see why they pulled from that. Yeah, at the time, absolutely loved the the line. You know, you had Brian yep. Michael Bendis on Spider-Man, X-Men, Mark, Mark Miller. Miller. Yep, Adam and Andy Cubitt. Mark Miller also did the Ultimates with Brian Hitch on art. It was very like cinematic, mm. you know, widescreen panels. It yep. was excellent. Back so you can to see why they were pulling. Back to Juggernaut, though. 
Vinnie Jones had to go through a four-hour makeup process to portray Juggernaut, which included a muscle suit and a prosthetic chin. Never noticed well, a prosthetic chin. I'll watch out for it next time. Never did that. <laughs> so to his credit, that's a lot you know, for him to go through, you know, similar to Kelsey Grammer as based. And the costume tried to retain the bullet-shaped helmet of the comics without going excessively over the top. And one more time. It is it. Don't you know who I am? I'm the juggernaut, bitch. It's not quite... Do you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? Yeah, yeah, The same yeah. thing as everything like else. And that line it's... was written by Joss Whedon. Oh, wow. Joss Whedon wrote that line. That should tell you everything you need to know. You know, I can't believe we've been talking for as long as we have and we've not mentioned Hugh Jackman. Or actually, before we get to... Well, we have. We're not really mm. you know, got into it. This movie, with a budget of $210 million, was the most expensive film made at the time of its release. So when wow. this film came out, Actually, it was surprised. the most expensive movie of all time. It had extensive visual effects created by 11 different companies. It grossed approximately $459 million worldwide, becoming the seventh highest grossing film of 2006 although it did receive mixed reviews from critics and the box office was later surpassed by x-men days of future past mm. in 2014 so it's one of those mm. examples of a movie doing so well at the box office not because of this movie because of what came before yeah and it's right it's piggybacking on that it's right riding on the back of that but you would think with the budget they had and all the effects studios they had working under them, why couldn't they make Iceman look cool when he when he when he like fully went Iceman and iced up? He looked lame as hell. I mean, later iterations of Iceman when he's fully iced up look awesome. But back then, when he when he ices up against Pyro, it just looks so bad. Do you know what? I disagree. I disagree. Right. And maybe it's because I got swept up in the moment back in 2006. But when you had mm. them two face off, because in the previous two movies, although they are fantastic, mm. Iceman didn't look the way that he did in the comics. He didn't mm. go full ice. So I liked the fire and ice battle. I liked it. I still I still like it. And they, they featured that a lot in the trailers as well in the TV spots. They mm. really, really showed that off I mean, angle yeah sean ashmore as bobby drake iceman he got to do more well in fact you know what he's been fairly consistent like he was with rogue in in that first movie they developed a relationship and then he went home to his parents in that second movie you have that great scene wolverine gets shot in the head that was all yeah. all great and then he's getting to do more more here yeah and then third movie he's like He's like, well, Rogue, you can't really do anything because your powers kind of stop you from having a relationship or being intimate. So I'm just going to go get with like Kitty Shadowcat. That's not what's happening, though. He much to Rogue's chagrin. He doesn't leave Rogue. I mean, she leaves him because she can see what could happen in in the future because she can see that they are developing a closeness, one that she can't share. But Bobby's a Mm. stand-up guy. Like he's not looking to leave rogue but because of what's happening with shadow cat mm. he's he's got more to do here so i mentioned you know all the people that 
left with Brian Singer. Ashmore is one person who was asked by Singer, but stayed. Because Singer wanted him for Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I can see why. Like I got, yeah, I can see that. But he stayed because he was content with his bigger role after Bobby joined the X-Men team in the second movie. And again, the relationship that he's got with Kitty in this movie. So it gets a little bit more to do this time around, which is good. You know, we've talked about who didn't direct this movie. Maybe we should talk about who did actually direct this movie. Brett Ratner. Yeah. He directed the Rush Hour film series, The Family Man, Red Dragon, Tower Heist, a personal favourite of mine, After the Sunset. Pierce Brosnan, Salma Hayek, Don Cheadle. That is a bloody good film. Really, really enjoy that film. He's also a producer on several films, including the Horrible Bosses series, The Revenant with DiCaprio, War Dogs, and on TV... He was an executive producer of Prison Break. I'm not sure if you know what went on with this guy, but we don't need to spend too much time talking about him. I just want to highlight the work that he's done. Sure. But he's a very problematic person now. He's not currently directing anything. In 2017, numerous women in Hollywood came forward with allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual Mm. assault or harassment against Ratner. And he's since emigrated to Israel. So we don't really hear from him anymore, but he's the guy that came on board and took over the reins of directing this film. That was already in motion, whether it was Singer, whether it was Vaughn, and he's the guy that gets the credit for for directing this movie. Well, I'll say this for him. He did at the time, I think he did say something in the press about being a BX Men fan and really loving the the fan the, the fan base, loving the uh the mythology and the and the lore. So I'll give him I'll give him his due for that. He seems to really have understood the assignment and clearly does have a love for did have a love for the these characters. And you can see that coming through in the film. I'll say that for him. Yeah, and again, his his back catalogue is really impressive. Mm. But, you know, with so many people coming forward, if true, it's just unforgivable. Mm. 100%. Hugh Jackman, once again, playing Wolverine. This time around, he was pleased to see that the script allowed Wolverine to expand his character choices. Instead of questioning whether he would remain a loner or join the X-Men, Logan now is asked if he will play a leadership role in the X-Men. So Jackman getting to do, I'm going to say more, but he pretty much had more in the first two as well, but he's got, he's got different motivations here. Like he's to play a different part of the whole setup. Yeah. He does have that, that leadership role. He does take on more of that mentorship kind of role. You do get the impression though, although it sounds like they try to trick Halle Berry. Like she is doing a lot more this time around. If you look mm. at the the most recent um, like DVD Blu-ray covers for this movie that are character focused, mm-hmm. X Men, it's just a close up of Hugh Jackman Wolverine. X Men yeah. Two, it's a close up Alan Cummings Nightcrawler. 
X-Men The Last Stand, it's a close-up of Halle Berry's Storm. Mm. So the focus, you know, again, it's not quite what they were looking to picture, the reason why Vaughn left in the first place, but she is doing more here. She had stated during interviews for X-Men 2 that she would not return unless the character had a significant presence comparable to the comic book version. And yes, it did lead to a larger role in this script and the character was given a more modern haircut and costume designer Judiana Markovsky opted to give Storm more black clothes, a colour she only wore in the leather costume for previous films to make her tougher and edgier. Yeah. She's good, like she's good, like and she's got the more, you know, the the hair, she's got the different hairstyle, the shorter hair. She's um she's good here. And she's, you know, taking on more of a leadership role. Like she's, you know, stepping in when Xavier can't. Because that's that's a thing in itself. When Patrick Stewart signed on to this film, he didn't know yeah. that Xavier was gonna die. Yeah. But then well. Nothing makes sense. Nothing matters. Exactly. Because the whole thing yeah. is like, how far is too far? Oh man, like, it's can it's, you it's, it's, can you move your consciousness salad. into a coma patient? Yeah. Is that okay? That's what he did, and that's exactly what, what he did. did. Yeah, he just looks at um, he just looks at Storm, uh, no Gene, and he says something. Don't let it control you. And then he gets gets atomized by by Gene and. Then, but in that moment, in that instance, he's able to somehow teleport his consciousness or shift his consciousness into that coma victim before being atomized. Do you, know what explain. Is, um, do you know what's significant? Is it what? Is it is it because of Maury Bataget, her involvement? It is the first Marvel end credit scene. Mm-hmm. That's Marvel what? End credit scene. When it's revealed, I mean, the MCU, like, James Gunn, the Guardians movies, it'll give you up to five. But back yeah. when this third X-Men film came out, it was, the, was first the first end credit scene. Ah, oh, right. The first, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because it people, was, people... what, 2006? Iron Man had not happened yet. And that's when we got the Sam Jackson as Nick Fury at yes, the end. that sets that up. Yeah. Right. So that was in 2008, but two years prior, this movie was the first Marvel end credit scene. And it was that moment where you saw the patient, but you heard Patrick Stewart say, Moira. Moira. There okay, but riddle me this. Riddle me this. How is it then that we next see him alive and well as Xavier wheelchair bound once more at the end of Days of Future Past? No, at the end of Logan, which sets up no, not Logan. The Wolverine, which sets up Days of Future Past. How do we see him there? Honestly, nothing makes sense. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. I remember when it happened, people speculated that, and it, it didn't end up being this, but people were speculating at the time that Xavier was projecting an image of Patrick Stewart. So therefore, people would still see Xavier for how he really looked. But in reality, he was that coma patient from the end of X-Men, The Last Stand. Interesting. What about at the end of The Wolverine, when Logan mm. has bone claws? The next movie, yeah, yeah we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that. And I thought, would it, is it possible or feasible that... 
because he and Magneto are allies, that Magneto, sensing that he would need Wolverine as an ally, would must must have agreed to rebond his claws with adamantium. adamantium. But then, how would he do so? He has he can, can control magnetism. He can control metal, but he would need access to the bonding program that Weapon X had. Again, mate, it's the Fox yeah. X Men films. Between from one film to the next, they're free and loose with what happened before, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just make it up as yeah. they go along. They do, and it's it's it really shits off a lot of fans like you and I, and and legions of others. We just we just kind of just shake our heads in disbelief. Ian McKellen, Magneto. I mean. We've not really, I guess, outside of Kelsey Grammer's B said this this episode, the casting of these Fox X-Men films are incredible. You know, Patrick Stewart as Xavier. I mean, fan casting for years before that first movie was cast. And Ian McKellen here, like everything about his performance is just pitch perfect. Absolutely. We're going to talk about the the opening de-aging effects, though, of Patrick yeah, Stewart that was, that was and weird. Ian McKellen. Ah, wow. Super weird. Wow. Back mm. then, I remember it was a bit uncanny valley, wasn't it? It wasn't quite right, but for 2006, mm. it was pretty impressive. I mean, it was... I mean, this was the first film ever to use the de-aging technology. There you go, another another first. And what the actors did, they gave the visual effects experts pictures of themselves as younger men. So they had that to go off. I don't know if it's because he's bald, but Patrick Stewart doesn't... He looks worse than what Ian McKellen does. But then I guess he's... I don't know. It's just both it of them... It didn't look too bad. It was convincing for his time. That's what I'm saying at the time, but it looked off at the time, but you kind yeah. of went with it. It was new. Looking yeah. back at it now, you're like, oh, my God. Even, like, the the movements aren't as smooth as they would be today. It's not just the, the I don't know. It just, it's not aged well. It absolutely has not aged well. But it was yeah. a way to have Xavier and Magneto younger and have xavier walking around although oh i'm not going to get into it when when oh man in the the prequel movies it doesn't fit the time frames they don't fit it's okay it's okay we just need to yeah get on with it but the performance though the performance by yes the performance by mckellen it's just it's it's phenomenal i remember that thinking and again, I'm talking about the perfect casting. When they did X Men First Class, Michael mm. Fassbender as a young as a young Magneto, perfect. Like they really cast those movies. Mm. That was, that was so good. Bad. He played it with so much vitriol too, so much passion. Yeah, definitely. And we've got Famke Jansen as Jean Grey Phoenix. And she's a character, um, a class five mutant who possesses potentially limitless telepathic and telekinetic powers. Mm. The X-Men learn that she has survived the flooding dam from the previous movie, 
But when the rest of the team finds her, Grey has given in completely to her aggressive alternate personality of her powers to Phoenix. Her mutant powers rival those of Xavier. And you said earlier, she, she kills him. Xavier yeah. gets killed in this movie. And to mark the change of Jean Grey into Phoenix, her wardrobe focused on red colours and everyday fabric in contrast to the leather costumes of the X-Men. Digital mm. makeup also made Jean's face darker and her skin showing some veins and her eyes turning black, signifying yeah. the Phoenix personality of her powers. Yeah, the Phoenix god within her. Yeah, and did you did you spot the cameos? Oh, in fact, you um, know, before, we get to, before we do that, no, 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 I'm going to put that before we get to the cameos. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, man, what a missed opportunity. Yeah, the the Dark Phoenix saga was like they, they tried to do it here, but this mm. is the shortest of the first three X Men movie. I'm pretty sure the runtime comes in about one hour forty five. The Last Stand, and when we'd seen those first trailers, this movie looks like it should have been three hours. It looked like yeah. wow. So it's The Last Stand, good, bad, Phoenix, for the most part, Jean Grey stands around in a forest. Just looking at things. She's just standing there for the longest looking, time. Looking stone, yeah. There's that moment, you know, the big finale. Wolverine is the yeah. only one that can get close to her. And, you know, he's like... He's, that was kind of cool. She's getting ripped from his bones. He's yeah, he's the adamantium skeleton. Having to kill her. So that, like, if we're looking at that character beats, it's hmm. there. The character, like, yeah. it's there, and, and you feel, and she has that moment. She asks him to kill her. So that's there. Yeah. The drama is there in that moment. But to get there, it's a lot of Jean Grey, this class standing 5 around. mutant, just bloody standing around the place. So she disappointing. Vaguely threatens, she vaguely threatens Magneto with that gun. He's like, June, what are you doing, June? And then, like, she, she just, he gets her to stop it, and she just, the gun just drops to the floor. And that's the, the only remotely interesting thing she does for most of the film. And I said earlier, this movie was written by Simon Kinberg. He was one of the writers on this movie. And then yeah. years later, and they were going to adapt for a second time, Dark Phoenix. And he wrote and directed that movie. And they dropped yeah. the ball twice. Man, I, I, I'm so over their attempts to, to do Dark Phoenix. Like, you, you sucked spectacularly at it twice. Don't do it again. You don't. It's been done. You don't need to re- retread old and rehash old grounds. They you tried with the original cast in their third movie, and they tried with the younger cast in their fourth mm. movie. And it just didn't take. It just, it didn't, did it? No, it really no. didn't. So again, it's a lot of jingle. Don't, don't even involve around. an Hellfire Club or anything. Yep. No. The cameos, though. Stan mm. Lee and Chris Clark. Yeah, that was cool. First two minutes of the movie, the X-Men creator and longtime X-Men writer appear in the opening scene as neighbours of Jean Grey. That's awesome. Always notice Stanley. I didn't realise Chris Claremont was in it. Always missed him. Yeah, same. I was exactly the same. So that's um, that's fun. Anna Paquin is back as Rogue. Mm -hmm. Then she leaves for a lot of the movie. And she comes yep. back and she's like, well, I'm not a mutant anymore. Bobby, we can be together. You can touch yeah. me now. So, so <laughs> that. that's that's pretty much her, her role 
pretty much accurately describing. Yeah. I mean, Pequin, she liked that, even though she's gone for the majority of the movie, she liked that her character is making a adult decision. And then she follows through on it and said, but anyway. And it wasn't until, because I thought it was this movie, but X-Men Days of Future Past, it has a rogue cut of that movie. I thought this movie had a rogue cut, but it's not. Days of Future Past, and I've not seen it, but apparently it makes several changes to the 2014 movie. So I might have to I check. Like she was, she's one of the characters of the franchise that was criminally underused. I used to think the character, based off the 92 cartoon, could fly, had super strength, but that was all because she stole the powers of Miss Marvel. I didn't realize that Rogue uh. was always a character that could just drain powers from mutants, life force from humans. But it's never explained that she stole it from Miss Marvel. Certainly it not is. for the purposes of the 90. Not no, for the no. purposes of the 92 cartoon. Absolutely is. There's an episode really? with Miss Marvel, and then she's left in a coma in hospital, and Rogue goes to visit her. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. That's sure, where that I one. first discovered. The, that's where I first saw Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel. Oh, went under my radar was, then, as she was known back oh. then. But that was the old thing. It had flashbacks to how she first got her powers. But I used to think what? that's who Rogue was: super strength, flight. Yeah. So then when I that's watched what that you first associate her with, yeah, X Men movie two thousand, right? What's this? But even even in the comics, she's like that, you know. Even she's a powerhouse like that, even in the comics. Because she stole powers from another character. And yeah. ordinarily, the powers leave her. But because the thing with Miss Marvel is that she held on too long. And not only did it put the the other person in a coma, she mm. got her powers permanently. Yeah. Because any other character she interacts with, she only has the, character, the power set of the character for a limited time. She's sometimes depicted as like she'll come into contact with Wolverine and she'll she'll sprout Wolverine's claws and but she'll only have them for a short amount of time. Yeah, but or it's um, factors. Yeah, but it um it's stuck in the comics and in the X-Men cartoon as well. But but again, so it's more her just having the power to take people's abilities. You know, I'm gonna take mm. us back to Beast one more time. And again, yeah. like Kelsey Crowley's so. Beast is bloody fantastic. But the reason why I'm going back one more time is mm. just to talk about how he gives his famous line from the comics. Oh, my stars and garters. Stars and garters. And oh, he says it just so exactly good. how you imagine him saying it too. That so kind good. of almost breathy, whispered thing, oh, my stars and garters. It's so, oh, yeah. so good. It's used in this movie. And do you know, do you know who who's responsible? Mm -hmm. It's mostly due to executive producer... Kevin Feige's insistence. There you go. There you go. So Kevin Feige. He's now the big, the big chase. Before Marvel Studios, two years prior, X-Men 3 is an executive producer. It, it was like, the guy. We need to get that guy in there. Okay, one last thing yeah. on Beast, and then I absolutely will will uh, will move on. Kelsey Grammer was so keen mm. to play Beast that he agreed to do an audition. This was the first time Grammar had auditioned in over 20 years. Wow. He, he wanted that, the part. He wanted it so bad. You think it would just be his? You think they would just say, yeah, you're beast? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, he's perfect. He really is perfect. You know, people say Hugh Jackman 
Wolverine, Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Deadpool, Deadpool, yeah, Elsa Grammer, Beast. He's definitely yeah, right, in the conversation. I mean, he's let's let's not mince words here. Let's not cut any. Let's let's cut the crap. He is honestly the saving grace of this movie. Kelsey Grammer is the reason why you watch this this movie. You know, I said that the re-release of the DVDs and Blu-ray, it's a close of mm. Halle Berry's Storm for this movie. Mm. It should absolutely be Kelsey Grammer's based <laughs> as the yeah. as the face of this movie. It kind of annoys me that he gets. He doesn't get top billing. I mean, obviously Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry get top billing. Kelsey Grammer's a couple of names down from them. He deserves to be third in line, or maybe fourth in line after McKellen, you know, or maybe third in line after Halle Berry. But he's such a large presence in this movie, even though his screen time's not a lot. Like he's he's it's indelible, indelible just how important to this movie he is. He's such a large you know presence in it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we both obviously love him in in this role, and not just in this role. I'm currently enjoying the Frasier revival on Paramount Plus. Yeah. It's um, it's fun to have Frasier Crane back on TV in new episodes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. We've got Rebecca Romaine as Mystique, but she no, is another one the role. who quickly exits stage left. <laughs> like she's yep. in it, and then she's, she's not. not. Absolutely. Yeah. She and that was the jumps, last time she played the role. It is. She jumps in front of Cure Darts intended for Magneto, and after she loses her mutant abilities, as a result, Magneto abandons her. That is yeah, a like, well, scene. Too bad. To so sad. You yeah. were beautiful, or along those lines. And yeah. then he leaves her and she sacrificed herself for him. So she's in it for a little bit, but again, like she was so great in those first two movies disappointing to see her leave but these movies the big ensembles there's so many so many characters not just returning mm. characters but new characters i mean aaron stanford comes back as pyro you know we've got him in x-men 2 we've got that great mm. moment there and um, he has the ability to manipulate fire generated through wrist mounted lighters and you got that yep. showdown with him and Iceman, which I do legitimately yep. think is cool, but that's his that's his big moment here. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Stewart, I mean, he's perfect as Xavier, and that's he why, is Xavier. even though it made no sense, he's in Logan, I mean, he's an old man. <laughs> yeah. Just keep him back. Again, spaghetti ball. Absolutely. We've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of times Kitty Pride, Shadow Cap. Played the former, well, originally credited as Ellen Page. The film was released before Page came out as transgender. Now yeah. she is Elliot Page. But in this film, she plays Kitty really good. I mean, she, mm. I think she's the only actress to play her twice because, yep, or actor, I guess I should say. Uh, the actor came back in Days of Future Past. And it was different there to the comics, what they were doing in that movie, where she was the one that was somehow able to send Wolverine's consciousness back when it made no yeah. sense because she can walk through solid objects. But anyway, it made sense for the film, I guess, as much as Fox movies did make sense with their logic. Um, but yeah, I do like Kitty Pride in this movie, and you get those softer mm. moments with her and Bobby. Rogue's been jealous, she runs off serviceable 
remember in X-Men 2, Daniel Cudmore as Colossus. Oh, yeah. And the, the school is under attack. And Colossus says to Wolverine, I can help. And Wolverine says, help them. And that's yeah. as much as Colossus does in that him. movie. Yeah. And I was like, on the back of that movie, I'm like, I really want to see more from this character. And he's we back in this here. movie. We get it here. I mean, this movie opens with a danger room scene. We don't see a sentinel because they weren't there yet, but we see a sentinel head. And we get yeah. the fastball. The, and we get the fastball special. special. That was yeah. cool. That was one geek out movie moment about this movie I did like. I remember just geeking out about that. I was like, yeah, fastball special. I think I even yelled at the top of my lungs at the cinema. I was like, fastball special. I was, I was excited for that scene. But in 2006, they could give us a sentinel head. That's as far as they were willing to yeah. go. I mean, we were and still getting kind of... black leather costumes. It wasn't until yeah. the later X films. Remember, like the the ending, the danger room sequence of X Men Apocalypse, yeah. and they had comic accurate costumes, individual right. costumes resembling the comics. So That's exciting! Right. And then Dark Phoenix, they're all wearing the same uniform. Ah. Uh, it's okay, mm. I guess. But I was, yeah. Yeah, we were robbed. <laughs> the only thing, the only thing I didn't like about that danger room sequence in X three was just how the head lands on the ground and Logan just walks out from behind the head. It just looks so dumb. It does. Like, I mean, I, I know they didn't have the budget to show him flying through the air and like severing the head and then coming coming down with it, like. They obviously didn't show that, so the way they got around it was very practically to just have the, the head drop, and he just walks out from behind it. It just looks so stupid, though. I mean, you're saying they didn't have the budget at the time. It was the most expensive movie of all time, $210 million. So with a budget like that, why can't you just animate that scene? That because scene they did it as good as they could for for back then. Like the It's, it's yeah. different now, but back then, that's, that's as good as they could have done it. But yeah. you're right, though. It looks like... He's walking from behind a wall yeah. or something. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah, it just, I don't know. It just, it, you're right. He looks a bit like, off. He looks as tall as the head. You know, he walks up behind the head and he looks about, looks about as tall as the head. I mean, Jackman's yeah. always been a tall Wolverine. <laughs> I know. I know. But oh, man. It just rankles me because Logan's a small guy. He should be smaller than that head. Oh, no, I don't. Anyway, let's go back to Daniel ah. Cudmore. He wore a phone. TV. He wore a foam latex muscle suit covered with a chrome-plated plastic plus a hard plastic head to have the metal skin on the set with some digital augmentation being used to enhance the facial expressions. And a digital double was used only for stunts that could not be achieved practically, such as the fastball special where Colossus Mm -hmm. throws Wolverine at Magneto. So How I do you do like, like him in comparison to? Well, I was going to say, I really like him here. I do like him here, yeah. and yeah. Do you know what? As as entertaining as Colossus is in Deadpool, is a joke. Colossus mm. is a joke in both Deadpool yeah. movies. Whereas yeah, I prefer, like visually, wanna... it looks great, yeah. and just like, I mean, the Juggernaut that we get in Deadpool Two is fantastic. But I prefer the Daniel Cudmore. Cudmore. Because he's got a punch Absolutely. Line, actually, yeah. He's a heroic character. Yeah, I like him more, more in this. Yeah. 
Bill Duke appears as Trask, the head of the Department of Homeland Security. Trask is the president of the United States during the war against the mutants. The character is probably related to the comic books Bolivar Trask. However, his first name was never mentioned in the film, and he's mm. portrayed as African-American in this movie. In the comics, Trask is the head of Trask Industries and creator of the mutant hunting Sentinels. Now, again, that first movie was released in 2000. The timeline in the not-too-distant future, this is now two sequels away. If you go back to the 70s setting movie of Daisy Future Past, we got Oliver Trask in that, played by Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like it's it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> ab- absolutely. But um, yeah, but he's Trask. I mean, they could just say they're using the family name or it's a nod to the comics. But either way, just having Bill Duke in this movie, like straight away, you're like, oh look, it's Bill Duke. Yeah. He was in Predator. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's that's, that's cool. Fred right there. That's cool. Yeah. You just imagine him in the jungle shaving with a knife. Oh, good yeah. stuff. So I did like seeing him in this, but it feels like it's more of a nod to the character than actually being the character. And we've got Agreed. Eric Dane appearing as James Madrox, also known as Multiple Man, Multiple Man. a mutant and thief recruited by the Brotherhood in a prison truck. Madrox has the ability to create a large number of copies of himself. I remember reading the Peter David X Factor comics and it was Madrox and he was running a uh, like a private detective company and it was a lot of fun. So I knew the character from that, but what we're getting here in this movie, he's only got two scenes. <laughs> like he's yeah. And one of them he is has... like, oh, okay, you got me. Yeah, but I guess it's a cool moment where he's multiplied himself and it's it's a decoy. So I guess yeah. fine, I guess. Um, so it's like it's almost like they bust him out of that convoy, that prison convoy, just for him to be a decoy. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. his wardrobe invokes the symbols worn in his comics costume. So again, like Marvel Studios hasn't happened yet. So the no. They're still giving, you know, leather and just making it not seem too comic booky back in 2006. And we mentioned the character of Leech already. Cameron Bright plays that character, a mutant who has the ability to neutralize the powers of nearby mutants. And the costumes, you know, we talked about how Jean Grey is now wearing red, but for the most part, you know, the X Men are still wearing the X Men. Although it seems like it should be a lot more epic than it actually is. I'm not going to lie. Having the X-Men turn up with the X-Men theme playing and Storm's doing her thing, Wolverine's jumping through the air, he's got the claws, it kind of sucks you in a little bit. Like There's moments of this movie that are enjoyable. I mean, I said in the beginning there, it is a mess of a movie, and it absolutely oh, is. Yeah. But it does, it does have some bright sparks. And just having the X-Men turn up at the end, it is, mm. it's pretty, pretty cool. And just having the music, I mean, this movie has a different composer. The first movie we had Mike, the first movie we had Michael Kamen 
who works right. on the Lethal Weapon films. I think he did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. We've got John Ottman, Superman Returns. He did After This Movie, also an editor. But then, so he's had three films, three composers. But John Powell, the reason why Brett Ratner invited him to work on this movie was because of the score that he'd done for The Bourne Identity in 2002, which is a fantastic film. But I was looking at it, it seems like most of his back catalogue is animation. And his back catalogue is huge. So starting in 1998, he worked on Ants, The Road to El Dorado, Chicken Run, Shrek, Robots. He did the second through fourth Ice Age films from 2006 to 2012. He did the Happy Feet films, Dr. Zeus's Horton, Here's a Who, the two or the first two Kung Fu Panda films. He did Bolt. He did How to Train Your Dragon. He did the whole trilogy, Mars Needs Moms, the Rio films, the Lorax, Ferdinand, the guy, like I think has done more than most. So many animated movies. That's a resume right there. (laughs) So many animated movies. But again, looking at his live action work, whether it's The Boy and Identity or X-Men The Last Stand, but it's always one of those things where you have a new composer on a film of a popular franchise that already has established signature themes. It's like, yeah. you know, John Ottman. There's not so much doing, you can do, Well, John Ottman's doing Superman Returns, but he's, yeah. he's using the music of John Williams. And yeah. then you've got John so Powell like here, who there's going to be like plot points that need original music, but I talked about that great moment where the X-Men turn up. Well, that's the X-Men theme that we heard in 2000 from Michael Kamen and again from John Ottman in X-Men 2. Yeah, and it's like he can't really put his own spin or signature or signature on it because he's only got so much to work with. I mean, new characters he can, but the signature themes are always going to be there. That's why it was always interesting what they did with Iron Man. Like When Iron Man yeah. 2 came out, basically instead of them having a score, which they did have a score. In fact, you know what? It was maybe even John Powell. Did he do that or was that somebody else? But when you think Iron Man 2, you think ACDC. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of Iron Man, remind me to tell you something interesting about that off air. I learned I learned this the other day and I thought it was really cool. So I'll tell you about it. You've literally just brought it up on the podcast. As long as it doesn't take too long, just tell me now. What, what is it? All right. Well, apparently, uh, a, a fan had said to Robert Downey Jr., "Like, how do you pee in the suit? How do you go to the toilet in the suit?" And he didn't actually mention it to him then, like to his face, the fan that he was um, addressing. But there's a line in the second movie where I think it's where he's he's intoxicated or drunk at the party and he's trying to be a DJ and stuff. He says the line like that, and that's him implying that he is going to the toilet in the suit in that scene and he's responding to the fan i in character in that scene by saying like that ah that's uh, that's pretty cool fun fun bit of trivia and i've just found out as well it wasn't john powell who was the composer of iron man 2 it was a different john john debney there you go we're talking mcu let's go back to fox x-men if if you're going to write X-Men, The Last Stand, 
I think three. I think three. It's a recommend. If only for new elements like Kelsey Grammer coming in as Beast. He's the largely the reason why you would see this, to be honest. Um, probably, I mean, it's great to see uh, characters, you know, actors reprise their roles. Obviously, everyone loves Wolverine. He's so popular. Everyone wants to see Hugh Jackman back in the role because he's so titular. Um, yeah, and, and like you say, McKellen does a, a knockout job as Magneto. So there are reasons to want to see this movie. And if look, if you're even remotely interested in the X-Men at all, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this film on some level. Um, we're all fans. That's why we came back and watched it. But it's only after the fact that you pick this thing apart and you analyze it and you see why maybe it didn't work so well or you see why maybe it went, it, it kind of went awry. That's when it starts to become an unraveled mess. That's not even getting into the issues with the studio. But yeah, look, three out of five for me, it's a recommend. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because as you're watching it, you very quickly realize, ah, oh, this is not going to be as good as the first two. Mm. And it really isn't, even without knowing that everything that happened behind the scenes. But it's always a bit telling when you see a runtime of a movie of this scale. Like, it should have not have been such a short movie. Like, this absolutely should have been, like, the longest one in the franchise. It's such a short movie. And just having the characters just stood around in a forest, it just its a big anticlimax. It really is. Mm. Well, you're right. You know, three out of five is a good score for this movie. It's absolutely a recommend. Um, for the most part, I have liked the Fox X-Men movies. And I guess, you know, interestingly with Deadpool 3, although it's going to be MCU, Fox isn't a thing anymore since Disney purchased them. So it's a 20th Century Studios movie. Yeah, three out of five. That's um, that's fair. It's definitely one to recommend. It's not the best comic book movie, but it's certainly not the worst. And having the characters back reprising their roles definitely does help this movie. But it's just interesting to think, what could it have been? Like The next mm. one after this, outside of the Wolverine solo movies, was X-Men First Class. Matthew yeah, Ball. and that was really good. That Fantastic. was really good. Such Same with Days of Future Past. They were both amazing. They they really resurrected the franchise there. And Days of Future Past, that was Brian Singer coming back for the first time since X-Men 2. And yeah. Matthew Vaughn, who directed First Class, was at one time going to write and direct this movie. Yeah. It's interesting absolutely. to think what it could have been. I agree. I just wish they hadn't tried to shoehorn in the, um, the Dark Phoenix saga like that. I mean, it was set up wasn't it, you know, above mm. the lake in the end of X-Men 2, but they tried it twice. So yeah. when like Marvel say, Studios yeah. get a go and they've cast the new X-Men, just leave it alone. It's a yeah, great storyline from the comics. Break, and if you want to see yeah. and if you want to see it adapted, just check out X-Men the Animated Series from the 90s. Mm. They did a very good job. I think it was a five-parter. It was. They fleshed it right out. That's it. Whereas to try yeah. to shoehorn it in with the gifted storyline, it was just too much. It doesn't work. For this one movie. Yeah. Well, that's it for our episode all about X-Men The Last Stand. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. 
Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me again, man. Always a pleasure, never a chore. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. I'm the juggernaut, bitch.